morning, Calvary. If you got your Bibles with you, open up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to continue where we left off last week. If you are new this morning, I'm so glad that you are here and jumping in a new series that we started through the book of Acts. Uh, if you weren't here last week, whether you are new or whether you are regular at Calvary, I'd encourage you to just grab that message, that sermon, just because it kind of gives the layout, the context of, of what we're doing, where we're going, what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, grab that from last week, and we're going to continue on the journey today. This is probably one of my favorite times of the year because it's playoff football. There were all the college games. I love it uh, because I just love when there's urgency, when things matter, and a team is focused and on mission. And as the playoffs continue to advance, fewer and fewer teams remain in the game. Most of them are on off-season now. They now get to lie back, sit on a beach somewhere, check their bank account, I don't know what they do, hang out, work on some strength training, rehab, and then they're going to be back to a new season. But for those who are in the playoffs, the Broncos are not there, won't, won't. But neither is Tom Brady. So like, what's... That's the loudest amen you're going to get. Like, Jesus is risen from the dead. Ugh. Tom Brady's out of the playoffs. Yes, the Lord is alive. <laughs> but for those who are still in the playoffs, they are still on mission. Why they exist as a team to win the Super Bowl. And that focus, that sharp focus as the end of the season nears, they are giving all of their best energies to accomplishing that goal that mission. And for those who are no longer in the playoffs, are no longer having that in the forefront of their mind. They're in the off season. Now, we start this book of Acts, and, and what we're asking ourselves is, what is the church? That we know that church is not a place or a building. It's something so much more than that. It's the people who gather. The church is the people of God who believe in Jesus Christ, who worship Christ, who want to follow Christ, and they're called his bride. They're called the body of Christ. Acts refers to them as the way, those who followed the way of Jesus. And so we want to ask, what does it mean to be the church, the collection, the gathering of God's people? And what is the mission, the goal of the church? Because we are in the off-season. We're in the playoffs. And as the season nears its end, the coming of the end of the age, we want to have a sharp focus of why we exist. I mean, for many in the room who have been saved by Jesus Christ, he didn't just beam you up to be with him. He left you on earth for a season. Why? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? What is the goal and the mission, the drive of our life? And that's a question that we have to answer as the church. See, Jesus, we said, so loved the church, Ephesians tells us, so loved the church that he gave himself up for her. And he laid his life down so that the church would be born. Jesus died so that we would have life in the body of Christ. And so what is the mission? What is the goal of this life that we live? Well, part of that, a big piece of that is going to be answered today as we look at the first commissioning that Jesus gives to his disciples. A sharp focus is going to come here in Acts 1, verse 8, of what the disciples are about. What are the apostles? What is their mission? Why do they exist? Why aren't they just beamed up to be with Jesus forever? And so if you have your Bible, we're going to Acts chapter 1. But before we do, I just want to take a moment and pray. Lord, we just want to stop and ask that you, Father, would be our teacher. Father, we want to find ourselves in the story of Acts as the body of believers in a culture that did not support them, 
in a culture that was antagonistic towards them. Father, we want to know how do we live? How do we live a life on mission, what you gave us? And so, Lord, would you be our teacher today? Would the Holy Spirit come and remind us, as he's supposed to, remind us and guide us of the truth that you gave us? And then, Lord, would you, in your Spirit's work, inspire us and give us boldness to live it out? We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you remember, Acts is a two-part volume written by the same guy, Luke, who wrote the gospel. And if you heard last week, we saw that Luke opens up very similar to the way that Acts opens up. Except Luke says, this is what Jesus began to do and to teach. And Acts is what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And so we gave this title, a working title for us, in the book of Acts. What is the Acts? What are the actions that we're going to find? And so we gave it the title that these are the actions, the Acts of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, by the apostles, or carried out by the apostles. That is, Jesus continuing to do what he promised he would do, through the, the helper, the one he promised he would do send, that the Father promised he would send, through willing participants, or the participants of the apostles carrying out this task. And so we're going to find the works of Jesus continued on through the Spirit by the apostles. And after Jesus rose from the dead, in these first few verses that we looked at last week, he's been teaching his disciples for 40 days about how the scriptures have been fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. And after his resurrection, he gave his disciples 40 days of good, convincing, factual evidence and proofs of his resurrection, appearing before them, allowing them to touch him and, and see them share meals with him, that they would know emphatically that Jesus was resurrected and alive, that everything Jesus promised is now true. And then he's going to give this commissioning of the kingdom of God. Remember, Luke opened up with what Jesus talking about, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus being the prince of this kingdom, his father, the king, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And turn into the kingdom, inviting people to turn into the kingdom with him. And that kingdom message is what he gives them in chapter 1, verse 3. The kingdom of God is to be preached into all the world. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 6. So this is the disciples, the apostles. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they ask, okay, is it now the time that we're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, he spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God, which has led some people to say, man, how ignorant are the disciples? I mean, just, are they stubborn? Are they blockheaded not to get it? But I think there's something more going on. The disciples, they know about the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God, and they know that it's tied to the kingdom of Israel. That throughout the, all the scriptures, here in the Old Testament, through Isaiah, it, the prophets talk about a time in which God will restore the glory of Israel, which will be good news for all nations. And the glory of Israel being restored will be good news the glory of God goes out to all nations. They're probably thinking of passages like Isaiah 49, one of the four servant passages we find in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this, God says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant? Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So restoring Jacob and preserving Israel, restoring that kingdom is going to go out as a light to all 
the earth to all the nations. And so it's not quite out of left field that the disciples are asking about this. Is it time to restore the kingdom of Israel? But, but for, for Jesus to keep them sharply focused, that don't, don't just think about your nationality. Don't just think about the kingdom you exist in. Don't think about your group of people because God's heart is for the world. Don't lose sight that God is for the world. To the ends of the world, God desires for his good news to go out. And so he says, okay, it's going to begin here in Jerusalem. This message to the ends of the earth is going to start here in Jerusalem, and it's going to go to Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And Samaria and Judea are geographical locations near Jerusalem. And so there's a great chart that someone here at Calvary has put together, a church leader and someone who loves church history and missions. He puts this chart together that's helpful for us. On, on, the, on the far side here, it's culture, and on the bottom is geography. And on the far side is similar and different. And then the bottom is close and distant. And we can see that the mission of God is very intentional to go from Jerusalem, that is both culturally similar and geographically close to the apostles. It looks like them, feels like them, tastes like them, talks like them. And then it's going to move out to Judea, which is actually culturally similar, but it's geographically distant. It's further away. And then it's going to go into a place called Samaria, which actually is geographically close to Jerusalem, but culturally it's very different. They don't talk like them. They have different ideas. In fact, they've been considered outcasts. And then the gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth, which is both culturally different and geographically distant. This is the goal of the apostles. This is the mission that they're given. That your task, the reason you're not going up with me into heaven, is I'm leaving you on earth as my ambassadors to go from the place that you're familiar with to the very ends of the earth. It's been put, he put it like this. This is across the street ministry in your neighborhood. This is across the state ministry. This is across the tracks ministry. And this is across the seas. And God's Love for the nations, his salvation for the world is to go from what you know as familiar to what you can't believe. You can't even reconcile. You can't even know and understand that God's heart would be for those people too because God loves them. And so that's what they're tasked with, to be witnesses. Now, there's this other little passage here where he says, okay, or in this passage here in verse 6, it says, or verse 7, sorry. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's the Father in his sovereign choice. That God is sovereign over history. The reason we exist right now and Christ hasn't returned is because the Father has chosen to give us another day. To be witnesses. To allow the message to go out that, that no one would perish. But there is a time fixed in history when the Father will do... All they promised, restore Israel and bring the end of that age. But right now, they are to be witnesses of all these things. They're to be witnesses of the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? If, if, you're, in a, if you're in a trial and you call witnesses, what, what does a witness do? A witness just simply tells the facts that they're aware of. They might only have a piece of the puzzle, what they saw, what they were taught, what they heard. That's all the disciples are called to be. Go be witnesses. Go be witnesses to the things that you have been taught by Jesus and the things that you have seen Jesus do pertaining to the kingdom of God. So chapter 1 verse 3 opens up with Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God to them and then telling them to go be witnesses to the kingdom of God into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
And so we hear, see it right here in Jerusalem, and we actually take this as a roadmap of how Luke has structured the book of Acts in each one of these sections. And so the first seven chapters is all about the ministry in Jerusalem. And then you get to chapter 8, if you want to go with me. Chapter 8, we find a man named Philip, and now they've moved out of Jerusalem into Samaria, and then into Judea. And the next several chapters are about the ministry in Samaria and Judea. And you know what? The, the ministry starts with Philip saying this. Chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. That men and women are hearing the witness of the kingdom of God in, Ju in Judea and Samaria and are coming to faith. And then we see it move out from Judea and Samaria actually to, to Rome. Right? Sorry, not to Rome, but to Ephesus, which is one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. So if you go to Acts chapter 19, we'll see that now we have a man named Paul who's reaching out beyond the borderlines. Now we're in a geographically different, or culturally different and geographically far region. Here in chapter 19, verse 8, it says that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Of God, same message that Jesus gave him, same message that Philip has taken, now Paul has taken. And if you go to the very end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, the last few verses, 30 and 31, have this to say. This is Paul imprisoned in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so this is the, this is the bookend. Acts 1 opens up with Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, and it ends with Paul talking about the kingdom of God. And it's gone from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And it's Paul's desire to take it from Rome even to Spain and beyond, to the ends of the earth, the message preached. Now, if this is the theme of Acts, that they would be witnesses to the kingdom of God, do you think it would be important for us to look into? Yeah, probably. I mean, this is a major theme that opens and concludes the book. We want to we dive into that. And so the disciples, the apostles, are going out from Jerusalem to be witnesses of these things. And there's this promise in the back of their mind that Jesus gave them about the end of the age. This comes from Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He says, and this is Jesus speaking to them, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That this gospel that you heard, this, this retrograde of a, a religious minority that's persecuted in Jerusalem. Like these people right here, this is it. There's like 12 of us plus some. There's probably maybe 120 of us total. Right here, this, this little group is going to proclaim the message of the kingdom, and it's going to go to all the whole world. And then the end will come. See, that's the mission. Okay, how do, we, how do we win the Super Bowl? What are we on mission for? This is not the off season. We're doing one task. Take the message of the kingdom, of God's love through his son Jesus Christ for sinners like me everywhere. And we know that the Super Bowl will end in victory when that message goes to all the corners of the world. I, I, I say this often, I still can't believe that these people in Jerusalem are thinking about this amazing, audacious goal, and they don't even know America exists. They've never seen it on a map. Perhaps the ends of the earth is Spain, 
and lands they didn't know were real have congregations of Christians that gather today and worship Christ. It's awesome. It is absolutely awesome to see what God has done through this witness. Now, they're told that their witness is not based on their own skills, their own strength, their own clever persuasion. It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they're called to wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave until the helper that the Father has promised comes on you. Don't leave Jerusalem on your own strength. But it's the work of God through you that someone would be convinced and turn to the kingdom. So here's a question. Was that just for the apostles? I mean, Jesus kind of said it to the apostles. Does that apply to us? Absolutely. Actually, Paul takes that mantle, that baton, and hands it off to the next generation of Christians. And it's been handed off to every generation of Christians so that something that Paul wrote speaks true of you and of me today. So go to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Here we find that the believer in Christ is actually a new creation. That those who believe in Christ, the old is gone, the old guilt and shame and identity, and the new has come. Beloved, son, daughter, child of God, co-heir with Christ. And not only a new identity, but a new mission and focus for their life has come. And so chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 18. This new creation, new identity, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us, he gave you, the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what Jesus was sent in the world to do was reconcile sinners back to God. And to proclaim the message of reconciliation. He says, those who have been born in Christ, a new identity, you have a new mission now, friend. And it's been given to you. And you are called ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. That you are not citizens of the world, but citizens of heaven. You belong to another kingdom. And you are an ambassador, one who speaks on behalf of the kingdom, of the mission, and the message of the kingdom. So we are those who have a message and a ministry to the world. As though God was reconciling the world through us, through you. The way that you speak and the way that you act on behalf of the kingdom matters. Let's go back to being a witness. What's a witness do? They're faithful to tell their testimony, the facts of what they've been taught and what they've seen. That's it. You're not the judge you're not the lawyer trying to make the perfect watertight case. You're not the jury. You're simply a witness in which the world can call and say, tell me about what you've heard, what you've been taught about this Jesus. And then let me, let me, let me hear from you what you've seen God do in your own life or in the lives of others. Tell me, give me eyewitness accounts of the things that you've heard and that you've seen about the kingdom. And then you just speak about the kingdom. And they ask you, well, what about this? What about young earth and old earth? What about science? What about, the, you know, like, I don't know maybe some of those answers. But that's not what a witness is. A witness is one who gives faithful testimony to what they have been taught and what they have seen. Now, as questions come in, it's a great opportunity for you to go and investigate them. Because Christianity is, is robust. It is intellectually 
It is, sorry, it's intellectual, it is academic in many of its defenses, called apologetics. It's great. But you don't have to have it all squared away. You're called to be a witness to the things that you have been taught and the things that you have seen. That's what the faithful witness does. Now, one of my favorite examples of this comes from the Gospel of John. John chapter 9 recounts for us a story of a man who was born blind and then has an amazing encounter with Jesus. And in John chapter 9, this man who was born blind asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus heals the man that he can see again. And this causes quite the stir in the community. And so, in fact, the, the religious leaders are inquisitive about what's going on. And they, they bring him in to ask him questions. And they start asking him all kinds of questions of how did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Do you think Jesus is a sinner? We think Jesus is a sinner. And they're asking him theological and practical questions that he doesn't have an answer to. In fact, then they go, they put him out and they bring his parents in. And they wanted to know, is this really the son? Is this really your son? And was this son really born blind? I mean, just shoot us straight here. There's no way that this Jesus could have done these things. And the parents would say, hey, here's all we know. We know that this young man is really our son. And we know that he was really born blind. And we know he really sees right now. And they kick him out, them out, and they, they bring the young man back in. They start peppering him with more questions. And it comes to a point where this young man, a witness of the kingdom, simply says this. This is John chapter 9. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's it. That's what a witness does. All those theological, practical questions of how to do it, what do you think about this? I, I don't know. I'm just a witness. I was blind. Jesus came. Now I see. Well, what, what do you think about this or that? You know, I, I don't know. Those are great questions. All I do know is I was blind. I met Jesus. And now I see. And they pepper him with more questions. You know, eventually he says to him, it just drives him up the wall. He says to him, are you asking these questions so that you might be one of his disciples too? <laughs> and they are so furious, they just kick him out. That's a witness. Now, what I just want to tell you, this is what I've been taught, and this is what I've seen God do. It's amazing. Well, that's not possible. I can't imagine blank, blank, blank. That's, that's okay. All I know is this is where I was. I met Jesus, and things changed and transformed. That's the testimony, and we are called to be witnesses, ministers, and messengers of the kingdom of what God has taught you and done in your life and the people's lives around you. And in our witness, the Spirit of God convicts and convinces hearts to turn into the kingdom. It's not your job to be judge and jury, be the lawyer. Your job is to be witness on the witness stand of what God has taught you and shown you and done in your life. Let me ask you this question. How did you come to faith? Maybe who modeled faith for you that you would come into? Who was your witness? Perhaps it was a parent, perhaps it was a sibling, maybe it was a coach or a teacher, maybe it was someone in the community, but somebody told you about Jesus. And then someone modeled for you, showed you with their actions how people of the kingdom live, and you were so convinced by their life. I mean, it wasn't perfect. None of us have perfect lives. None of us. But you were so convinced of their message and the way that they lived, you said, wow, I want Jesus. Who was that for you? Perhaps it's more than one. Perhaps it's, it's a constellation of witnesses. 
that you heard some things from a parent or some things from a family member, and then it was attested to by the behaviors and actions of a coach or a boss who admitted their wrongdoing, asked for forgiveness, and you thought, how could someone be vulnerable to take that on their own shoulders, to ask for forgiveness, to say it was their own fault? We would never do that. What makes them do that? And you heard about the kingdom. And they would give of themselves and be generous and sacrifice and be a servant to many. And you say, what leads them to live like that? And they told you that I was a witness. He said, wow, I want to be part of the kingdom. I want Jesus. Who were those people for you? Now, flip the coin. Who are you that? Who are you being that for? Like, in our new identity, we have a new name. And the name is Ambassador. And when you wake up on Monday morning, is the first thing you identify yourself with is your company, your position, your team, the logo you wear on your shirt? Or is it, I wake up, and the key identifier is that I am an ambassador for the kingdom of God, and I am called. I mean, this is not the off-season. We are in the playoffs, and with a sharp Real focus. I live on planet Earth to be a witness of the things that God has taught me and the things that God has done in my life and in others to the ends of the Earth. With people that are familiar to me and and look like me and those who don't look like me and culturally different than me, all must know how great our God is. And I am ambassador. I walk in Monday morning in my office as ambassador because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of the Son. That's the badge that he's giving the disciples. That's the badge that's been passed to you. All in this room who believe in Jesus Christ are called to be witnesses. Witnesses. The things that you have been taught and the things that you have seen God do. And you leave all the other work of convincing and convicting up to the God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we do not move out of this place without the Holy Spirit. That's why God's telling, Jesus is telling him, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go on mission without the Holy Spirit because that's what's going to be convincing people. It's not your own arguments, not your own skills, not your own cleverness, not even the facts itself. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. But you go as a confident witness. One of Calvary's shaping values is that we would be a community that are confident or competent in our witnesses. And we'd be confident in our own testimonies, the things that we have been taught and the things that we have seen God do, and we'd share it across the street, across the state, across the tracks, and over the seas. Everywhere must know of the goodness of the kingdom of God because he is calling the nations to himself. And so he tells them that. Don't leave without the Holy Spirit. And so they gather back into Jerusalem, which is about a quarter mile away. They gather back into Jerusalem, go up into the upper room, about 120 of them there. And there they devote themselves to praying. They they are praying God's promises. Now we say, well, if God already promised him, why do you pray it? If God told you he's going to give you the Holy Spirit, why would you sit down and pray for it? Well, that's what prayer is, is praying back God's promises to him. Being in conversation with God over the things that he has promised to do. And so check out verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It's cool to see that that Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was at the birth of Jesus, is now at the birth of the church. She's here. The other women, the, the, the women who probably saw Jesus at the tomb, the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, they're all gathered here with the apostles. And they're devoted to prayer 
They're praying right, for 10 days, praying that the Spirit would come, praying for the mission to go out, for the mission to be accomplished, that God would give them boldness and courage to be the witnesses that Jesus asked them to be. And in the midst of this prayer meeting, Peter realizes, or maybe it's not in the midst, but in the midst he makes it known to the group, that for the sake of their witnesses, as the 12 apostles to the 12 tribes of Israel, they're missing one. Because Judas betrayed them. And Judas actually killed himself. And so now they have to replace Judas so that they have 12 apostles, which would be the full witness of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what we see is, is Peter actually reaches back into the scriptures, probably taught by Jesus over the last 40 days of the importance of this. He reaches back into the Psalms. This is verse 20. Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office of apostleship. And so they go about taking the next steps based on what they see in the scriptures to replace Judas into the apostles. And the next thing they do is, verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. So the first thing they do is they, here are spiritual qualifications that we must look into the community, that they must match, and they're going to be called. And so it has to be someone who is with us from the baptism of Jesus to the resurrection. I mean, they have had to have seen all these things if they're going to be a witness with us. And so they, they find two in the community that match the spiritual qualifications and put them forward. And then you see what they do next? It says, next, it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they, they first see their call in the scriptures, and then they're going to, going to find spiritual qualifications of someone in the community. Then they find those who meet those spiritual qualifications and present them to God in prayer. They, they pray. They say, okay, God, we know that these guys were eyewitnesses, but we don't know their true hearts. Only God knows the heart. And so, God, we pray that you would reveal to us which one. Because which one is humble? Which one is kind? Which one's not going to be haughty? Which one will be a humble leader? Or show us which one of these two that you are calling to replace Judas. And then they do probably a peculiar thing to you and me. Verse 26. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So lots are like dice or pieces of pottery with markings on them. And they just kind of like roll them out. And on these lots on the dice, it indicates that Matthias is God's chosen to replace Judas. Now, this is a little foreign to us. So let me just unpack it a little bit. One of the things I think the reason they do this is because they can never be accused of choosing their own friend. They can never be accused of being the ones who elected the 12th apostle. As God chose the original 12, he gets to call the final one to replace the, 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 uh, the spot that Judas leaves vacant. And so God gets to be the one who gets to call either Matthias or Justice into the position. Now, they do it by casting lots, which seems to be an Old Testament ordained way of determining God's desire, direction, or will. But scholars have pointed out one interesting thing, that the casting of lots is never mentioned again amongst the community of believers after the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't need lots when you have the Spirit of God dwelling in the believer. And so we don't need an Old Testament practice of casting lots when we have the Spirit of God that we can come and say, Spirit of God, help us with a decision. Give us wisdom that we might follow in the direction you're leading. So what we have here, though, is actually a great blueprint of how followers of God make decisions, have wisdom in their life. So check this out. Here are the four principles that we learned right here. So the first thing is the scripture. Scripture led Peter to say, it is written, we need to do something. And so they're acting on it. And then there's spiritual qualifications. So they look in the community and they say, not anybody can fill this position, but these who are spiritually qualified to be witnesses. Who's that? Oh, here's two. Okay, but, well, we don't want to elect and decide. We want God to decide. And God knows the heart, so they're going to pray. They're going to gather and let, and let space exist for God to influence who they would choose. And then lastly, we have the Holy Spirit that says, Spirit, would you give us direction on this? Would you be the one that makes and orchestrates things that we would walk in your will? And at the end of chapter 1, we see 12 apostles now ready to be the witnesses to the 12 tribes of Israel and the ends of the earth, beginning in Jerusalem, going out to Judea, Samaria, and to Rome and beyond. And we have the same mandate that we're called to be witnesses, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That when you step back into Monday morning, when you, when you walk into one of these three areas that we often talk about, where you work, live, or play, you are sent. You are sent as an ambassador to be a witness in all these spheres of where you work, live, and play. To, in both in your words and in your deeds, how you live, to show what it is to be a person of the kingdom. That people would then say, wow, who is this Christ that you serve? Tell me about him. And with questions, that's great. But you're simply called to be the witness of these things. And so what I want to do is I want to end right here. I want to end as a community of believers called the church, the people who gather in the name of Jesus Christ. And that we would all stand and that I would pray for you and commission you as ambassadors to step back into your week. And in your mind, I want you to know that I'm praying specifically that God would give you a name people at work to lean in to bother you this week. So if someone's bothering you this week, that's because God's answering my prayer. <laughs> and I'm asking that you would have boldness and courage to be witnesses why you've been saved and why you've been preserved here. In the playoffs, you're not in the off season. And victory is to be won in Christ. That many people would come to know eternal life through your faithful witness, friend. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Come down here in the, in the front at the end or in the balcony. Our prayer team would be up there. We'd love to pray about concerns you have stepping into the week or, or things that maybe this stirs up. But would you bow your heads and your heart and let me pray over you. Father, I pray over this local congregation of women and men who have come to know you. Father, would you send them out as your witnesses? Father, I pray that that would be on the forefront of their mind as they step back into their work week around employees, employers, team members. As they go back to their areas where they play on, in, in, on sports teams, cycling, activities, where they sit back in their neighborhood, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance what you have taught them 
about being an ambassador. Father, I pray that you'd give them opportunities both in words and in deeds, how they live. How they live in their own worlds of responsibilities and positions that they hold. To be ambassadors and witnesses. Remind them of their own salvation, Lord. Who they were before they knew you and who they are now. Give them the zeal of their salvation. Again, Lord, they'd be excited about what the kingdom of God is doing in their life and in the world around them. And Lord, I pray that many, by the power of the Spirit, through their faithfulness, would come to know eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, continue to act here in Erie, beyond the tracks, beyond the cities, beyond our communities, in our nation, and around the world, Lord calling all nations, tribes, tongues, races, ethnicities into the family of God. Give us a heart for this, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I love you. Look forward to being together very soon.